0: Change starts from within. That was the title of episode 20 in which we talked with Dr. Gabby Grant about introducing restorative practices into your school. Before taking external action, we need to take internal action and examine and reform our own attitudes and perspectives about things like discipline, punishment, and justice. Today, we'll dig into what that journey might look like and where it might lead. Hello, colleagues. And Welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Frederick Buskey. The goal of this podcast is to help improve life and leadership of assistant principals. Today's guest and guide through this journey is Josh Stamper, the training and development specialist for Teach Better. Josh is here with us today to look more deeply at restorative practices. Hello, Josh. How's it going?
1: I'm I'm so excited to be here today and just you know, get a chance to share a little bit about
0: my journey and about restorative practices. Awesome. We're happy to have you. Uh, before we dig into the journey, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to the point that you are now?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So I started off as an art teacher and a coach. So I got to coach football, basketball, and track. And within a couple of years, I got tapped on the shoulder and asked to look into becoming an administrator someday. So it was kind of a, a shock to me. I, I actually laughed in my AP's face at the time because I was like, I'm just learning how to become a, a teacher and a coach. But shortly thereafter, I went into the master's program and, and a couple years later, got promoted to the dean of students of another middle school. At the time, I was just learning how to become an administrator. It was also a different community and, and different needs. And we had a lot of student discipline that school year. And I went off of my experience, which was going into my tools, which was detentions in school suspension and out of school suspension and we were not seeing a decline in any of the behavior and in, in fact we were seeing an increase and some of the behaviors were getting really extreme and I was getting frustrated and didn't know what to do at the time and you know we're gonna dig into that journey a little bit more later but um, a year later I got promoted to become an assistant principal in a neighboring middle school and Um, Did that for four years at that campus. um, Implemented restorative practices and really redesigned the structure there as far as you know the matrix and then the student discipline and how we approach that based on my experience as a dean of students. And then I got a chance to work in the city that I live in, which is Frisco, and worked there for four more years. So total, I was an administrator for nine years. And then this summer made the transition to the teach better team. So I'm with them, uh, as a training and development specialist. So I get to help districts specifically about social, emotional learning, restorative practices and trauma informed care. And then in addition to that, I also have some side projects that I work with, like the podcast network and, uh, admin mastermind help administrators. So really excited about the new role and journey and excited to talk with you a little bit about how I implemented restorative practices.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to have your expertise on the show. And, and when we wrap up at the end, too, I think you'll be able to tell us a little bit more about some of the things that you're doing now. So sure. excited to have to have that part. So we always like to start with celebrations. What are you celebrating? What am I celebrating? Oh, my goodness.
1: Uh, I'm celebrating the new chance to work with more folks. You know, I think that was my goal is becoming a leader is just trying to make the biggest influence possible. And, you know, you can do that on a campus. And I felt like I did that. But now, you know, having the opportunity to, to travel amongst the United States and work with a, a bunch of different schools on the topic that I'm most passionate about. I think that's something that I'm excited about and, and wanting to, to celebrate
0: right now. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So let's begin by telling people what not to do. Don't, don't, don't go out and adopt restorative practices and try to implement them just cuz you listened to this podcast or <laughs> or seen somebody present this on a college or on yes. a on a uh, you know in a, in a session uh you can't do that in one fell swoop i do i have that right
1: oh 100% 100% um honestly this has been a, a long journey and and i've had many bumps in the road um, not just in this initiative, but with several others. And I think the way that we adopted these practices were based on my my follies, really. i mean, as as an administrator, you learn that you know the top-down initiative where you're mandating something to your staff really is not a good strategy. And I learned that one the hard way and um saw several initiatives fall to the wayside because of how we tried to to force it upon the staff without their input and, and their ownership. And so, you know, as a Dean of students in this community there, we were, we were having fights like one every third day. And, and these were like for real fights, not just like pushing each other type of thing. And um, we were having just, you know, drugs and all kinds of things that were occurring in the neighborhoods and in the apartment complexes. And they were bringing, you know, being brought onto the campus. And these were things that as a teacher and a coach, at my previous school I didn't really have a whole lot of experience with and so I felt like you know I was just learning on the job and and making mistake after mistake and at the same time my wife and I were going through foster care training we we signed up to become foster parents and you know I I don't know if you know about the process but there's quite a bit of training <laughs> to become a foster parent and to learn how to work with kids with trauma and I begrudgingly went because I was like look I've got two kids already I I know how to be a parent I know how to discipline and I was so wrong, you know, during the training and understanding like how the, the brain is affected through chronic stress and trauma and, and how it biologically changes the cells in a in a young child's life. I was just not accustomed to that. I didn't know what I didn't know. And so, you know, taking that training at heart, not just as a parent, but then also looking at it as a, like through an administrative lens, I was looking and I'm like, okay, all of the things that they're talking about as far as kids with trauma in the foster care system are actually... Very similar to what's going on in the behaviors in my school. Is there a way to use some of these trauma-informed strategies on the campus? And if so, what does that look like? And that's when I started to dig even deeper and found restorative practices. And it's a lot. There's a lot of information out there about it uh, as far as the strategies and then also like how to implement that. Now, is it gonna solve all of your problems? No, not at all. But it's one of the many tools that you can add to your tool belt outside of just your detentions, your ISS and OSS. Because what we were finding was, especially with OSS, we weren't really diagnosing the problem. All we were doing was just shipping them out of the campus and then they were going into the community and doing the same behaviors in in those areas, only complicating things to then bring it back even worse onto the campus. And it was just a cycle that we we were creating and it was like trying to stop a dam by putting our fingers and our toes and all these little holes. And then the tidal wave was just coming, you know, and um, I think that's so often what we do is we try to send students off to a room and tell them be quiet or, you know, just work in here for three days or five days or whatever the duration is. And then we just expect them to magically go into the classroom, know the correct behaviors and that, you know, the relationship between the teacher and the student is going to be this fantastic thing. And it's just not the case. And so, you know, that's kind of where the journey started. And, you know, as far as implementation, you know, I tried to look at it a little bit different.
0: So let me just, I think, clarify one piece of this too. When, when we look at our traditional tools, they're really based on this idea that we have consequences that we can administer and, and we talk about punishment. And, and so, from a psychology perspective, that means applying a consequence that is going to decrease the likelihood of future behavior, right? Yep. That's technically, that's what punishment does. And so we have that set in school, suspension, detention, um, Saturday school suspension. Yes. Right. And, and our, these are tried and tested tools. They've been around a long time, but we only really have a handful of them. And, and, and we, we, sometimes it's pretty prescriptive as to when we're going to pull them out, but we're so accustomed to using those things that we forget that a lot of times these indeed, they're not punishments because if, if, I'm, not ha- if I'm struggling with my classroom teacher and I don't like being around them, you kicking me out of class and putting me in, in an um, out-of-school suspension or in-school suspension or something, I'm getting what I want. Yep. So that's not going to decrease behavior and punishment only works if we assume that I actually have the replacement behaviors to handle my stress, the replacement behaviors to be able to express what I'm feeling. Yeah. So, so I want to emphasize that point on the front end, Like the tools we have really aren't enough to meet the challenges that kids are facing today. And after coming out of COVID for two years and, the climate and the political tension and all that stuff in this country, like the needs of kids are only ramped up further. And, sure. and so we need to look at a different way of doing that. So let's talk about the, I guess, the early phase mm-hmm. of implementation. Yep. I and mean, Once you've figured out yourself and you've been going through this learning process and, and started to realize hey, raising my children, is not the same as raising somebody else's children. Yes. And and so we need this trauma-informed care. So you start to make that change from within. And then how do you then start to bring that into your school?
1: Yeah. And what you said is so correct. 90% of the folks that are on our campus, as far as students, they they do a wonderful job every single day. You know, they know exactly the behavior expectations and they fulfill those without any doubt. So, you know, I always try to remind my staff of that is the majority of our students on our campus are doing the right thing every single day. And they know how to, you know, proceed through the day and, you know, act in your classroom. It's that 10% that really need the love and support and potentially some alternatives as far as how to work with them. And, And that means we're going to need to teach them the expectations because we can't assume that all students know how to act, how to work through emotions, how to communicate what their needs, a lot of times they don't even understand. And I tried to say this as many times as possible, is behavior is a language. We just have to decode what that behavior is saying in regards to the student's needs. So going to your question, as far as implementation, what I did was I created a small action team. So we called ourselves the Relationship Action Team. Unfortunately, not realizing it, it soon turned into the rats group, and that, that was not... <laughs> The acronym I was looking for, but um, we kind of had fun with it. Um, so the RAS group, really what that was constructed of was just like-minded teachers. I knew that there were several teachers on my campus that were seeking something different as far as classroom management and trying to build relationships with kids and just not defaulting to detentions or Saturday school or the things that you know we're so used to as far as the punitive piece. And so it started with just like seven of us. And that was myself, a counselor, five teachers. When we first came together, I was not the expert. I knew a little bit from foster care training. The idea was we are all learning this together. We're all seeking information. We're gonna try things. It may fail. It may be successful. If it's successful, what I charged them with was to share it with their colleagues, share it with the people around them. And so with that, It was just meeting um, a couple times a month, right after school, maybe 30 minutes, and really just sharing out what was working, what was not. Is there a new strategy or or thing that they implemented that, that worked well or didn't work, right? So it was more of a reflective process. And then with that, then we built that and grew that. And we had 40 people at the end of the school year because people were sharing and other folks were starting to understand, okay, these things were working and, I always try to say, build your disciples, right? You got to find people that are you know, wanting to follow because they're seeing the benefits of your actions. And so because that core group was so intentional about sharing the successes and what they were doing in the classroom, it spread like wildfire because all teachers want their classrooms to run smoothly. They want the behavior to diminish so that they can get to what's most important, which is the curriculum. And so since I had almost half if not more than half of our staff already on this action team then the next year it was easy to say this is a a whole campus initiative we are now moving forward based on the numbers and the support that i had already received on the rats group and then you know the rats group was still that core group but you know we were looking at leadership team and and things to then continue that work which then you know through the years then Turned into how is the PBIS team connected to the RATS group and the restorative practices, and then what, how is our SEL component connected? Because it's not just a, a one box over here and one box over there. Like it's it needs to be fused in everything that we're doing. And so the PBIS team, you know, they were looking at the positive uh, interventions, but they're also sharing data with the, as far as the behavior and. Um, how our strategies were working. And so we tried to create data as much as possible to be able to share that with staff to say, okay, we are implementing these things campus-wide and we are seeing a positive difference because that 10%, as you know, is where we put 90% of our work. And sometimes it's, as the year goes on, it feels defeating. But if you have the data to support it, it's, it's non-emotional and they can see, okay, we are making a difference and we're seeing a decrease
0: if we're just consistent as a campus. There's a lot of really cool stuff to unpack there. And I think first I want to point out some things just in terms of change process and whether you're working on restorative practices or uh, the pedagogical teaching practice, I think that change process um, is critical. And people that have been listening to the podcast recently or reading my daily emails, they've kind of been on a tear criticizing some of the big change initiatives that I'm seeing states run, just run into schools, um, whole hog. And it, it just goes against everything that we know about how we initiate change. So a, a couple things on that. One, you, you basically ran a pilot group and you pull together people that were enthusiastic and that wanted to do it because we know when we implement something new, there are going to be problems. And so let's put together a team of people that will want to solve those problems and be motivated to solve those problems. So we can work out the mistakes, work with the willing, before you know we send it out to other people, and then you have naysayers saying, "See, I told you so." So a great job there. I really appreciate that you charge them from the very beginning. Of look, if this is going to work, you need to go out and and tell people. I don't I don't always think about that or emphasize that when I'm talking about change, but that was a really cool thing to do. I, I think also then keeping it low stakes. Like we're just working through this together and you not being the expert. And so you, you really are co-building and co-constructing this thing. And, and that, I think that creates a really safe space and you talked about cycles and one practice. So let's try one thing and let's see how that goes. Because one thing is not overwhelming. No. If I put a book of restorative practices on your desk and say, we're going to do this tomorrow, that's overwhelming. (laughs) For
1: sure. <laughs> well, well, and teachers I mean, don't have time. They don't yeah. have time to sit down, read a book, you know, cover to cover, and then try to figure a way to implement all those things. You know, that's that's one way to kill an initiative is to overwhelm
0: them to to make it seem impossible. So yeah, and and I would say like part of value, I'd rather have a small change that works for me right now, than some big payoff three months from now because I mean I'll make it for three months. Right? I I want to know what to do with that kid. <laughs> Right now. Right now, oh, yep. So let's go there and talk about a couple of the the early successes you had and maybe even a, a story of a teacher and a kid where they took one of these. You know, what were the first practices that you tried out and, and what did sure. that actually look like?
1: Yeah, so really the restorative practices piece is really it's about a poor behavior and the response that we provide. So we need to do some proactive things first in that relationship building. So what we decided to do was one, we implement check-ins. So every morning, you know, we're doing a couple of things. One, a teacher is always at the door. They're saying hello. I mean, there's data, plenty of data to show, like the engagement level is only going to increase like three times, (laughs) sometimes even higher um, if they're just getting a greeting at the door. Second of all, the check-ins, making sure that we're understanding where our students are on that day. So for instance, we ran a number system, one being that the t- student was having a terrible day, probably the worst day of their life, 10 being greatest day of their life, right? So if we had that number system and a kid comes in and they're at a two, well, I know as a teacher, I'm going to interact with you differently based on that information than if you're an eight, right? So Um, the other piece too, is we wanted to make sure that we had a way to understand if that student had a difficult time at home the night prior, if they needed to see a counselor, if they didn't get food, if there were certain things that were basic needs that they wanted to communicate in a safe space that they had that. So a lot of our, our teachers created these Google forms as a check-in right now it's even easier because one-on-one device pretty much is nationwide based on the pandemic and that's something that we implemented last year um, with our, with all of our teachers was an idea and understanding that these, these forms were presented so that the teachers got data immediately to understand, okay, I didn't get any sleep last night because my parents were fighting. You know, It was a really bad situation. Um, I got maybe an hour of sleep. I'm not going to do any work today. And the teacher understanding that and, and having empathy and saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you a day off. If you need to put your head down, I'm fine with that. But if I didn't have that Opportunity to do a check in, and I have a kid putting his head down. Our immediate response is punishment, right? But not understanding that there's something behind that behavior. So um, that's one of many examples. The other thing was like creating relationships with circles. So, um, with restorative practices, there's restorative circles. That's if someone is to, you know, um, create a wrong somewhere, break a relationship break something in on campus, maybe a computer or some other device, right? With it, we're restoring that situation. But before we can get to the restorative circles, we need to make sure that they understand the process of a circle. So we do relationship circles and this is where the class circles up and you give a low level question, like what's your favorite chicken sandwich, right? I mean, something that every kid will talk about because they want to talk about themselves one and two, they want to, you know, share out, um, and feel like they're being heard like any other human being, right? So it gives every single person a voice where they have a captive audience. And we're also then providing a chance for those students to be able to communicate, right? We're teaching them how to communicate, but then also how to listen, which is one of those pieces, future-ready skill that a lot of kids and adults don't possess, right? So, you know, it's it's something that we're spending maybe 30 seconds to a minute, but it's so powerful because now they're making connections to other people in the classroom and potentially to that teacher. And now everyone's getting to learn a little bit more about themselves. So it was uh, uh, something that was a strategy to build relationships. It didn't take very much time from the curriculum, but it also gave a benefit because they had the idea of a circle. So if there was something that they had to go in the office for a restorative circle, they already knew the process prior to, to be successful, to get to the end point, which is finding a resolution to the problem.
0: So were you running the restorative were you running the restorative circles so the relationship circles are lower stakes and easier thing to do but it it gets kids familiar with the process and teachers so you implement that lower level easier practice with the teachers and then you do the heavy lift of the restorative circles
1: initially yes initially. so yes so because I was already trained in restorative circles and the admin team was We took that on initially. However, with a relationship action team, then we built that out further. So the people that were in the relationship action team then learned how to run a restorative circle. So that way our team leads, our counselors, some of these other people could then facilitate that where it wasn't completely on us, because as you know, in the world of administration, especially an assistant principal, it gets crazy, and you get a million things coming at you at, at one point. And so sometimes that would fall to the wayside, even though that was one of the most important steps, because the data showed, especially with fights, we never had a recurring fight between two students. So if myself and you, Frederick, got in a fight, we did a restorative circle. Me and you, as far as our data on the in the last four years, never got in a fight again on our time on campus. So. Maybe that's luck. I don't know, but that that's pretty staggering. And I would always present that because this tool is helpful as far as mending, because a lot of times it was something stupid. As far as you grabbed a piece of pizza off my plate, I haven't eaten for a long time. So I'm going to punch you in your face. It's pretty simple. But if I, and I probably don't even have a relationship with you, maybe I do, but that relationship circle or the uh, restorative circle gets to the bottom of what's going on in that person's life. What was the meaning behind the action. And then how am I going to do it in the future in a different way? That's where the teach piece comes in. And that's what so often is forgotten is that we just assume, oh, you know not to do that, so don't do it again. That's not the case, right? So then we go back and we do that teach piece with the student. Now, they're still getting consequences. I think that's the misconception is, oh, restorative uh, restorative practices is kumbaya, we're holding hands in a circle. And then it's just going to magically go away. And that's not the case. It's, it's twofold, right? It's the teach piece, the plan, the kid taking ownership of their actions, how to learn through the emotions and what's going on in their life. Then it's also, yeah, you get some natural consequences that follow with that because as life is, we all have consequences for our actions. So that piece doesn't go
0: away. It's just a, it's a relationship between the two. Okay. So I, I again, want to emphasize this kind of layered approach and this phase in approach. And and if you think about teaching, teaching group work, we, if, if we haven't established the proper routines of how kids should function in groups, especially if you're talking about middle school kids, right, we need to have some procedures and processes in place so that any group work is going to be successful. And then we can start looking at big, important, complex group tasks they're going to help kids learn. It's the same way implementing something, you know, behavior wise, yep. lay the foundation, get the procedures in place and, and make it as easy a lift as possible. So start your teachers out doing the, the easy stuff that they're going to have success with yep. and leave the harder stuff to you and then, and then build it. What was the point as you were implementing this over the course of a, of a year? I mean, really it's, it's two years, probably three years ongoing. But, oh, yeah. but you did this one year where you you saw things really tip. What was the point at which you said this is this is really gonna work? Like our teachers, this is not just gonna stay in this team. It's it's going out. What was the thing where do you remember a moment where you yeah. go, wow, were there? Well, so
1: as you probably know, October and February are the two months that student discipline typically go up you know, the honeymoon period is over, we're in the midst of it now. And so uh, people get students get comfortable. And some of the behaviors begin begin to, to rise. So I remember in November looking at the October discipline. And what we did was we looked at the numbers uh, from that school year in October versus October, the prior year, and we saw a dramatic difference. So we were trying to figure out, okay, is that just a one off? Or is there significance there? And, Just from the people, because the the group had already grown by that point. Um, I can't remember the specific number, but maybe from 7 to 15. But the group was adamant that they felt like the strategies that were being put in place were the difference in regards to, to the shift in data. And of course, when we hit February, we had a bigger group, and the number was drastically down also as far as the data. And I think that was when it was like, okay, now we're starting to see consistency. And looking at the data compared from one year to the other, it's, it's noticeably different. And I think we can attribute that to the drastic amount of things that we're doing on the campus versus just saying, Oh, it's just the group of kids
0: or we're getting lucky this school year. Yeah. And so what did the, I guess, what barriers did you face especially in that first half year? So if if somebody's thinking, okay, I, I think I can pull a group of people together that we can start to look at this. What were the barriers that you would would warn them of?
1: I think really trying to prepare and communicate that this is not a silver bullet, that this is going to take time. And just like anything, it takes practice. And I think, you know, I I had several teachers try to implement a couple of things and they didn't see success right away. And then it was like, oh, this is, this is not going to work. This, this obviously is a tool that we don't need to be using. So for instance, like treatment agreements, a treatment agreement is where you're building a set of expectations in the classroom from student to student, student to teacher and teacher to student. And you're supposed to continue to work through the treatment agreement as the school year goes on. So for instance, every, every day you're really, you know, having it visible, you're talking about it. And then as the school year goes on, if there's a need, you maybe add some additional items with the ownership of the students and some teachers were like well that that's not working but they w- didn't have it visible or they didn't, they wouldn't continue to to come back to it or you know like it was continuing to train the teachers on how to use the tool because you can't just go through the process once in august and then just expect the students are going to comply with those expectations for the next nine months you know so it was it was really just kind of a, a continuous teaching of This is not going to happen in a week this is not going to happen just in a month as you said it took us years of continuously building upon this to get it to a structure that we felt comfortable and it wasn't even perfect at that point you know we're still finding you know chinks in the armor of of continuously trying to to figure things out and to shift and and try new things too so um and like you said with the pandemic and with the the difference needs now you know our kids today are different than they were 5 years ago or 7 years ago so we need to as a school and as a staff we need to shift with that we can't just say the the system that we have in place is going to be good for everyone
0: yeah so i i'm almost thinking about this as as another layer of classroom procedures i'm really big about managing your classroom through through teaching and developing, reinforcing really yep. good classroom procedures. And, and I always point out to people that you know, we've got 50, 60% of the kids, you could have no procedures and they're going to be fine. Right. And then you've got another 30, almost 40% of kids that if you have good classroom management, then they're going to be okay. And then you've got a smaller group that you need really good, Class, like you really have to be good, at, but it's still management. It's not discipline. And if you're yep. really good, you're going to get those guys. And then you've got the margins where you need help. That's a team effort because the needs are so high. And that goes beyond classroom management. But I, I'm thinking of at least some of the aspects of restorative practices that really do become procedural in the way that we do things in our classroom. And do I have that right? Yeah. And I, I, there's a couple of pieces
1: that came to mind when you were talking, but, you know, like there are certain teachers that I never had to do anything in their classroom. I never had to work with any of their students. And I don't think that's just by chance. I think that was a skill with classroom management specifically that they just did things where students understood the expectations and they were constantly moving around. I mean, there was things that they did every single day. Um, as far as them building relationships and keeping to what they did. And, you know, one of the things about trauma is like kids need to understand when they come in, there is a routine kids absolutely thrive in routines. Um, you know, the way that you communicate, you know, she, I'm thinking of one teacher specifically that it was always positive language, even when the student wasn't doing something correctly, the the way that she communicated what she wanted them to do was such a, it was so powerful for the kid to then flip it on a dime and I was always amazed because that wasn't always the case in other other classrooms and especially our new teachers they don't get trained in classroom management I know when I was a teacher I didn't get that um you know I was just throwing the fire and so I defaulted to the teachers that I grew up with and unfortunately that was a very punitive style and it didn't work and I had to learn the tough way that okay I might need to do something different um, then what, how I grew up, because guess what? I hated school. And the reason I hate school was because of that punitive nature. Um, so yeah, it's, it's one of those things that classroom management is probably one of the most important things for our teachers, because if you don't have a class that is behaving or paying attention, there's no way for them to, to gain that content.
0: So as we start to wrap this up, um, I hope that we've I think this has been great because I wanted I was hoping that this conversation would be something that was really practical and that gave some examples of how you start to step this out. And and I think you did that. And I think you've you've presented us with some some options and some possibilities that are are manageable and doable. And again, I, I caution people. Right. Everything we choose to do means there are other things that we can't do. Yep. So people that are listening, you need to weigh things out and weigh it out in your own school. But certainly taking some baby steps sounds it sounds like it could be really positive. You know, if you've got some students with some high needs, I guess that's probably every school right now. But but if you if you're finding you're devoting a lot of time to kids that are frequently getting into the same kinds of problems, then maybe you do want to look at some different tools. Mm-hmm. And and so, Josh, you've done a great job laying out some ways that we might get started. Are there specific resources that you could would be interested in pointing us to? Yeah, Hacking Discipline is a great book.
1: Um, Nathan Maynard um, is one of the co-authors of that. Um, and the way I the reason I like that book specifically is it it gives. A question or a misconception, right? A a term or sentence that we usually hear in regards to educators and teachers on why restorative practices won't work. And it's really chapter by chapter of kind of breaking that down as to why that's not true and what how practical it is. And here are some steps. So um, I always refer that when I speak on this subject. That's that's something um, that's a book that we did a book study on as a campus um, when we're doing the relationship action team. Um, that was one of the first things, uh, better than carrots and what is it better than carrot. better than, better than carrots than sticks. I'm probably jacking up the, the name, but, um, that was another one that we did, um, a book study on also on restorative practices. And then, you know, just any books that you can find. I think one of the books that I have is is called Restorative Circles, and that really is a a short read. It's probably like 60 pages, but it's really powerful as far as showing you how to set up circles, both as far as relationship and restorative. So um, that would be another resource. But there's just so many books out there in regards to uh, trauma and how it affects a student's brain and some things that we can implement that are are small. Like you said, we don't have to think of it as something that's a massive intervention or plan for the campus you know it's sometimes it's just as simple of of getting on their level when you communicate looking in their eyes and and talking in a a small tone or you know if a student has a really big uh outburst you know that we're not replicating that that we're being a window instead of a mirror in that situation as far as communication so there are things that we can do that are very small that can make a grand impact and I think some of those resources, you know, would be would be good. But anyone that goes to any session on, you know, social emotional learning, restorative practices, uh, trauma informed care, you know, those are going to be extremely impactful. Um, and then just take away a couple things that you
0: can try out. Don't try to eat the elephant. So I also like the way you presented this in that it's not that we're taking our old toolbox and putting it in the closet and pulling out and learning a brand new toolbox. It's that we're finding another set of tools that we can then add, not replace, but add to what we already do. And I think that might make it uh, an easier, an easier thing to engage in for people a little bit. For sure. Yeah. I mean,
1: and if we're working in on a door and we need the hammer or a screwdriver, I mean, those are, those are useful tools. And for 90% of the jobs, I'm, I'm probably going to use those tools, (laughs) but there are some times that I need something else that might be a little bit, uh, unique, right. And I need to then go and find that. So it's no different. And yeah, I want to, and I preface that with my teachers, because, you know, when we do things, we get comfortable in using them because we have so much experience in that. And I don't want them to lose those tools because they are effective for 90% of my kids. (laughs) but there are times where we need to be a little more creative. And honestly, the students that are are even understanding what's going on, they have great support systems at home. These practices are just as important for them to work through. It doesn't negate the fact that they need to sit down and do some reflection about how they could do a better job in the future. That still is a process that all human beings need to be able to do to be successful, especially for our kids with their future ready skills.
0: Thank you for all that. Mm -hmm. All right. As we wrap up, I have three questions for you. And the first is what part of your own leadership are you still trying to get better at? Oh, goodness. So much.
1: Um, You know, I think communication is still something that I, I strive to be better at. I think communication is, as far as a leader, is the number one priority or should be for anyone because you work with so many different people. You know, when you're working with a student that is escalated emotionally, you better have the tools to communicate in that situation versus talking to a parent that may be upset or working with the teacher when you're trying to give feedback on potentially something that needs to improve in their classroom. I mean, all of those are very different situations that require different forms of communication. And you you need to make sure that you are able to share what needs to improve or provide some feedback, but in a way that's not aggressive and is accepting. And there's, there's a nuance to that. And then also if you're trying to create an initiative that is going to the campus, you need to get some buy-in. And that takes a little bit different style. I don't want to say that you need to be a salesman, but you kind of need to be, you know, an administrator has different hats and you need to have different roles and play those different roles in your form of communication. And you can't talk the same way to everybody. Um, there are certain ways that you just need to, to progress. And, um, you know, if you're talking to your PTA or you're talking to your superintendent, I mean, all of those conversations are are vastly different and you, you need to make sure that you're well-versed in how to share, um, your needs and then also your
0: expectations. And if listeners could take away just one thing from today's show, what, what should that be?
1: The best way to get knowledge to the brain is through the heart. And I think that is the biggest thing as far as an administrator is, I wanted to make sure that I was touching the lives of our students through the emotional intelligence piece versus curriculum. Obviously curriculum is number one, it is important knowledge to the brain and is exactly what we want. However, if there is a drastic need that's in the way, we need to make sure that as a school, we have a process in place to identify that and then to provide the resources necessary to remove it so that they are
0: successful in the classroom. We're going to highlight that quote, <laughs> <laughs> the best way to get knowledge to the brain is through the heart. So that might be the title of this show. We'll see if there we you can go. squeeze that in. Uh, And is there anything else that you'd like to share with listeners? You know, um, you know, I have a podcast
1: myself. It's I know we're talking about restorative practices, and I do have some guests, Nathan Maynard, who I I referenced before. Um, he's been on the show, and plenty of people have talked about several of the topics that we talked about today. But Aspire to Lead is is the podcast, it was constructed for aspiring leaders, but really my premise is that all educators are leaders you all are making an impact in some way and you're making an influence and so we have a variety of different topics that we we expand on and the idea is just to continue to interview phenomenal leaders and have for them to share out similar to what we're doing today and hopefully that's building some skills for our aspiring and current leaders and um, of course you can find that on my website Joshua Stamper dot, or, i'm sorry joshstamper.com and then any podcast application also.
0: Okay. And are there are there a couple other things that, that you have going on that you'd like to tell people about? Um, yeah. And there are some other ways that they can connect and find you. Of
1: course. So I have a book too, Aspire to Lead is the title of the book, and it's kind of the same premise. Um, it was birthed out of the podcast in the sense of sharing my own story as far as going from an art teacher to an administrator. And The idea is to provide a guide using ASPIRE as the acronym to kind of give a step-by-step of here are the things that I failed with, and you may want to navigate in a little bit different direction. These are the supports and things that I needed to enhance my skills and then also get the experience to become an administrator. And so my whole idea was to try to have something, a resource that people could use to get them to level up to that whatever they want to become, right? If it's a counselor, if it's an administrator, whatever leadership position that they're seeking. So Spider Lead is the book. And obviously I work with the Teach Better team. So we provide support to administrators through that too. With the Admin Mastermind, we meet every Tuesday morning. And, you know, if you go to teachbetter.com, you can find that, you can sign up, it's free. And we have anywhere between 20 to 30 people every week, different administrators throughout the country, And it's really topic-based. So right now we're talking about professional development for new staff. That's going to roll into just professional development for all staff and, you know, teacher, or I'm sorry, administrators, teachers are in there. We've got superintendents. I mean, we've got a variety of different places um, that folks are coming from, but it's really just to kind of talk through and to, to be better, right? That's the whole idea is to, to steal (laughs) from other people and what are things that we're not doing well that we can enhance. And so those conversations are, are rich every week and I'm so fortunate to, you know, administer and, and uh, facilitate those conversations. So teachquitter.com, there's a lot of different resources, blogs. We have a podcast network. We've got 35 different podcasts on there. So wherever you are in your journey, you can pro- probably find something that connects with you. And then we've got courses. We've got all kinds of things
0: there. Excellent. Josh, thanks for coming on. This has been a great discussion. It was When we initially talked about doing the show, I was hoping that we would really have you know, that combination of vision, but very nuts and bolts. And you've provided so much of that today. Well, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and rate this podcast. I'm always trying to improve the show. So if you have feedback for me, please email me at frederick at com. And if you'd like to know more about what we're doing to support assistant principals and other school leaders, you can head over to my website at frederickbuskey.com backslash the assistant principal. That wraps up today's show. I'm Frederick Buskey, and I hope you'll join me next time for the Assistant Principal Podcast. Cheers.